politics, culture, chaos. It's time to make sense of it all. It's time to have a little fun. This is your afternoon dose of sanity. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. So I said if you condemn January 6th on January 6th, 2021, you don't need to do it every year, okay? This is, you have the condemnation antibodies. The condemnation antibodies are good forever. You don't have to make this an annual day of condemnation because you're playing right into the Democrats' hands. Enough. I'm speaking to elected Republicans. Good morning. Good afternoon. Where is it? What day is it? Oh, right. January 6th. Pearl Harbor Day. Uh, what a stupid comparison. Pearl Harbor Day. Unbelievable. I tell you what, Joe Biden really wants to be FDR. Have you noticed that? This guy really, really, really wants to be FDR. And so now, now January 6, 2021 is Pearl Harbor Day. What a disgraceful comparison, honestly. Between that and 9-11, the two, the two analogies that infuriate me more than anything, Pearl Harbor Day and September 11th, what a disgrace to compare that day to those two days. Uh, all right, I don't want to spend the whole podcast on it either, to be honest with you. I really don't because I'm just, I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of discussing it. I don't know. The only reason why we're, we're still doing this is because the Democrats have an agenda and they have this whole new thing that they're trying to push. And I, I, I don't want to play their game. I just don't want to play their game. They want to get rid of the filibuster. They want to federalize our elections. They want to ban voter ID. They want to spend a whole lot of money all under the guise of January 6th. I mean, come on. Come on. No, nothing, nothing has to do with January 6th that they're pushing right now. CNN all day today. I, every now and then I would flip over and kind of just check it out. They loved it. Oh, they wish every day was January 6th. They do. Every They wish every day was the anniversary of January 6th. They loved it. And it was like a home for Scar Mucci was on there and Stephanie Grisham. All these former Trump, now present, never Trumpers. They were all over this place. But anyway, I don't care. I, I really don't care. I, I, I don't want to make too much of this because, again... When you look at reality of the situation, and I'd like to, there's still questions I would like answered, for example. Who was that one dude who was walking around telling everybody tomorrow we're going to go into the Capitol, tomorrow we're going to go into the Capitol, and then he led everybody and then just kind of walked into the crowd? Was that guy a, a federal informant? I think that's a question that needs to be answered. Why the Speaker of the House turned down the request for extra security, why the Mayor of D.C. turned down the request for the National Guard, why all those things happened ahead of time and representative Tom Massey, you know, he asked the question to the attorney general, Merrick Garland. He said, how many undercover federal informants and also FBI agents were there on January 6th of 2021? And he said he couldn't get an answer. I mean, I'm not surprised by that, that he wouldn't get an answer, but isn't that telling that the attorney general of the United States would not tell a sitting member of Congress how many of them were, were used that day. But the videos of this one guy, and Tom Massey put it out there, and I'll play you the audio of, of what the guy says. And it's it, it's interesting how nobody seems to care, but people should care because there's been too many times where federal informants have actually led the very things that they were supposed to be there to, I guess, observe or something. You know what I mean? And that happened with the kidnapping attempt of the governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer. We understand that the kidnappers were mostly made up of FBI informants. And there was a plot that they orchestrated. So let's get to that understanding, too. It doesn't change anything regarding the idea of what happened on January 6th. It just simply gives answers, because I think that there's a lot of people that would love to see 
clearly the federal government go after civil liberties even more using January 6, 2021 as their excuse. And, you know, it's 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 obvious uh, that they love the idea of more government. They love the idea of more government surveillance. They love all these things. They love all these things. In fact, tomorrow, I don't even like to say it because I'll be arrested. Well, let's not say it. We need, we need to go, I'll say it. We need to go in to the Capitol. Let's go! I'm going to put it out there. I'm probably going to go to jail for Tomorrow, we need to go into the Capitol. Into the Capitol. So at this point, he's whispering in people's ears, and then they go and they start pushing the barriers, barricades back, and he just kind of disappears into the crowd. So, Congressman Tom Massey had a great question. Who is this guy, this Epps guy? Where, where is he? What, what happened to him? He just disappeared into the ether. What happened to this guy? Uh, Washington Examiner had a story today. Federal authorities won't explain why three men who participated in the Capitol riot on January 6, 2021, have mysteriously disappeared from the FBI's Capitol violence most wanted list. Andrew Kerr, investigative reporter on this. One unidentified man wore an earpiece during the riot and was filmed carrying what appeared to be a concealed handgun on his left hip. The man was pictured on the FBI's most wanted list for over five months until he was removed without explanation on the same day the New York Times reported that an FBI informant was at the Capitol on January 6th. A second unidentified man was filmed beating police officers with a baton during the riot. The FBI said the man was wanted for assaulting a federal law enforcement officer, but the agency removed the man from its most wanted list without explanation in late February, just weeks after his debut. The third man, Ray Epps of Arizona, was filmed in the hours leading up to the riot, urging Trump supporters to enter the Capitol to stop the certification of President Joe Biden's election victory. Epps has not been arrested or charged for his actions. His unexplained removal from the FBI's most wanted list on July 1st has fueled speculation from a member of the House Judiciary Committee that Epps may have agitated people to storm the Capitol at the behest of the FBI. Video footage shows Epps, a former president of the Arizona Oath Keepers Militia Group, urging a crowd of Trump supporters on the evening of January 5th, 2021 to go into the Capitol the next day, provoking allegations of the crowd that he was working for the federal government. That's where they heard the Fed, Fed, Fed. They were chanting that. Have a good nose for that, I guess. Be like if I was chanting Fugazi, because I've got a Fugazi radar. By the way, no, nothing excuses people that. I mean, if you follow somebody in, you know, I mean that it, it's still your decision as a person, and you're responsible for your actions. I'm not ex- excusing anything. I'm just saying that if we had. FBI informants and other people who were encouraging people to then go and commit crimes and were motivating people, and were, then they're the ones who were inciting. Right? I mean, if you want to argue that Donald Trump's words that day incited people, but actually there were there might have been informants who were inciting people, then they're the ones who actually did the inciting. And we have just not heard that. We have not had that conversation. 
The Arizona Republic identified Epps as the individual pictured in the FBI's capital violence most wanted list less than a week after the riot. His picture remained on the list for nearly six months until its unexplained removal on July 1st. There's no evidence he entered the Capitol building during the riot, nor is there any footage of him directly participating in acts of violence. Epps told the Arizona Republic he did nothing wrong and that rioters who engaged in violence to gain entry into the Capitol building were totally, totally wrong. Quote, the only thing that meant is we would go in the doors like everything else, Epps told the outlet when presented with a transcript of his comments before the riot, urging Trump supporters to go to the Capitol. Republican Representative Tom Massey of Kentucky presented video footage of Epps encouraging people to go into the Capitol on January 5th and 6th during a hearing in October with Attorney General Merrick Garland. During the hearing, Garland refused an opportunity for Massey to put to rest allegations that federal assets agitated people to storm the Capitol. Garland said he wouldn't comment on an ongoing investigation. Only 13 suspects have been removed from the FBI's Capital Violence Most Wanted list, which was launched two days after the riot to solicit help from the public in identifying rioters. Hundreds of individuals on the list have been identified, but they remain on the list with a notice they have been arrested. Online sleuths identified removed suspects 311 and 302 as photojournalists, 312. Two removed suspects were minors. Removed suspect 236 identified herself as a 17-year-old girl through a reporter during the riot. And online sleuths identified removed suspect 310 as a minor. Removed suspect 257 was identified as Andrew Tock of Texas, who was arrested and charged by federal authorities in July. Removed suspects 36, 37, 197, and 198 remain on the list of, of under different numbers. One guy, removed suspect 171, was identified as Evan Newman of California, who is currently listed on another FBI most wanted list. Newman allegedly assaulted police officers with a metal barricade during the riot. He fled the country in February. He's currently believed to be in Belarus, according to the FBI notice. Newman was indicted on December 10th on 14 counts. It's not clear why the FBI removed Epps and the two other unidentified men, dubbed hashtag Ginger Gun and hashtag Harley Jacket Baton Man by online sleuths. The FBI declined the comment, and the DOJ did not return multiple requests for comment. Uh, hashtag Ginger Gun was captured on camera with a crowd of rioters under a Capitol scaffolding on January 6th. We attempted to conceal what appeared to be a beige handgun on his left hip. Later during the riot, hashtag Ginger Gun was filmed with a white bandana over his face and an earpiece in his left ear. Now, I don't know if the earpiece was because he was part of another group, or I don't know. Hashtag Ginger Gun first appeared as suspect 343 on the FBI's most wanted list on May 4th. The FBI removed his headshot from the list sometime between the evening of September 24th and the morning of September 25th. According to Web Archives, the FBI has not explained why it is no longer soliciting the public's assistance in identifying the man. On September 25th, the New York Times reported it obtained records showing an FBI informant affiliated with the Proud Boys texted his FBI handler as he marched into the Capitol during the riot. The New York Times said the records did not disclose the informant's identity. The other unidentified man named hashtag Harley Jacket Baton Man. Quick uh, point of reference. Harley Jacket Baton Man. Well, obviously, that was my Bruce Springsteen cover band in college. I would beat myself in the face with a baton every time I sang a Springsteen song. He was filmed partaking in a brawl between rioters and Capitol Police on January 6, 2021. At one point, the man beat police officers with a baton, after which he was pictured bleeding from above his left eyebrow. The FBI added a headshot of hashtag Harley Jacket Baton Man, 
bleeding from his left eyebrow, and another picture of him swinging a baton at police officers who it's most wanted list in early February as suspect 164. The FBI said the man was wanted for assaulting a federal law enforcement officer during the riot. The FBI removed the man from its most wanted list without explanation sometime between the morning of February 24th and the evening of February 25th. Now, if you hit a federal federale, as this man allegedly did, then they're going to come at you, unless they have good reason not to come at you. So, anyway, I think those questions deserve to be answered. I think it's reasonable to ask those questions, just like it's reasonable to understand why the Capitol Police Intelligence, the director of the Intelligence Division, warned the House leadership, and the, those those warnings were completely unanswered. Why the mayor of D.C., Mario Bowser, turned down the National Guard. I think all of those things are worthy of conversation, are they not? Of course they are. But we can't, we're not allowed to do that because the Democrats are trying to use what happened a year ago today to push legislation. It's a political purpose at this point. And if you don't see that, I don't know what to tell you. But it's clearly obvious that when we have stupid comparisons like this from the Vice President of the United States of America, that this is shameful. Dates that occupy not only a place on our calendars, but a place in our collective memory. December 7th, 1941. September 11th, 2001. And January 6th, 2021. It's a disgrace to compare those two dates to what happened last year. It's a disgrace. It is a disgrace. And I think everybody knows it. I think everybody knows it's a disgrace. And today, Jen Psaki was asked the question at the White House today, and even she couldn't justify what the vice president said. Uh, vice President Harris, in her remarks today, compared January 6th to Pearl Harbor and 9-11. Can you elaborate on what the thinking was behind that comparison? She's faced some criticism, especially in conservative circles, for that. Well, I would first say that, um, as the president also said in his remarks, uh, you know, when if we look back to some very difficult moments in our history, back in 1861, there were no Confederate flags being ra- being waved uh, in the Capitol. Uh, in very dark moments in our history, there were not people storming our nation's Capitol, uh, trying to take over the office and even threaten the Speaker of the House. Um, so uh, instead of, for those who are being critics of the Vice President's remarks, I think instead of focusing on or analyzing comparisons of moments in history, I would suggest that they be a part of uh, solving the threat to democracy that occurs today, that is happening today. Uh, and they are using this as an excuse not to be a part of it. So she can't justify the remarks. She's just saying you shouldn't ask about them. And that's the end of that. Well, anyway, I, I think that if this is going to become a yearly thing, I'm just going to take January 6th off. I really have. I don't I have no desire to go through this on an annual basis. I, I don't see the point in it either. People have been arrested. People are going to go to jail. People are going to go to prison. Joe Biden's president. It, it, nobody's been charged with insurrection. It, it, no, None of those people were actually going to pull this off. As I said on January 7th last year, none of these people were going to pull this off if that's what they were trying to do, and I don't think they even were. So what, every year now we got to go through this? No, no. It's not healthy. It's not good for our nation. Biden's speech today was a political disgrace. It really was. The political disgrace. Going out there and, and, and just going after Trump like that. Because, again, they want to make it very clear to people that Trump is a danger and a threat to our democracy. They want to keep saying this so that they can take steps 
to consolidate power. That is their goal. That is their objective. You can like Trump. You can hate Trump. You can't disagree with that point. That is the bottom line. Let's cut through the BS. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. Let's turn our attention to disgraced governor, soon to be former governor, Ralph Nothram. Uh, who, um, of course, is a disgrace, a uh, disgraceful man. He really is. And Ralph Nothram, the governor of Virginia, failed miserably on keeping motorists okay on 95, as you know. It was a disaster. Now, look, I, I don't think government should do much. I really don't. I think government should not do much. But I think if you're paying all these taxes, that they're supposed to go to roads, and you're paying all these fees, and you're paying all these tolls, the government has an obligation to clear the roads. The government has an obligation because you're paying them to do that. It's a service. And if it was a private sector company, everybody would be suing them right now for breach of service, breach of contract for not getting it done. Well, the government, we just shrug. We go, oh, well, they couldn't get to it. It's a bad storm. This is Ralph Nothar making excuses and getting angry. How dare you question him? Since I have you, and I know this was supposed to be sort of a look at the end of the term. Since I have you, I might as well ask, is there anything new with the 95 response Anything new in regards to determining what went wrong and and, and uh, what happened with the huge backup there? Well, Matt, I, I wanna... say I say I was doing karaoke. You understand? It was Michael Jackson night, and I just got a fresh gallon of shoe paint for my face. Sorry, I can't help but do Foghorn Leghorn slash uh, the president from you know the show with Kevin Spacey, House Cards. I just can't help it. It's just it's the only impression I could do. I'm going to just tell you right off the I'm bat. I'm going to tell you right off the bat. My man in the mirror crushes it every time. And anyone can say that I should not have put shoe polish on my face, but it was a glorious night of karaoke. Why you're sitting there saying what went wrong. I mean, this was a storm that we haven't seen for a long time. Um, it started with rain. It then turned into a slushy snow of 8 to 10 inches, more than was predicted. And then after midnight, turned into essentially a, an ice rink uh, with tractor trailers, jackknifing, other vehicles leaving the road. Um, I think we ought to sit back and say thank you so much to our agencies, emergency management, VDOT, the Virginia State Police. These are men and women that were out there in the elements uh, rescuing people, getting the interstate open back up. I can't be more proud. Uh, and I hate to vent on you right now, Matt, but I am getting sick and tired of people talking about what went wrong. Uh, I think we ought to be very thankful that nobody got hurt. Nobody lost their lives. Interstate 95 is up and running and people are back at home and back to work. I understood at the same standpoint. I mean, there, there, had, there was an issue. We did have people in, in cars for 27 hours stuck on an interstate for a long time. Maybe maybe wrong's a bad bad word to use, but but clearly something didn't go right, I guess is a better way to put. Mother Nature is a tremendous force, Matt. Uh, this was a, a big storm. Over 400,000 people lost electricity. I'm, uh, I mean, I don't know how much more you, you want to talk about it, but uh, everybody's home safe, and uh, I, I'm proud of the way Virginia responded to it. Understood. Ow. Let's let's move on to what we were going to, you know, what the original purpose of the uh, the interview was going to be, which was. I would also say, Matt, yeah. um, the, we knew that this storm was coming. Uh, we put warnings out. Um, why don't you start asking some of these individuals that were out on the highway for hours? One, did you know about the storm? 
Uh, two, why did you feel it was so important to drive through uh, such a snowstorm? And, and three, in hindsight, do you think maybe you should have stayed home or wherever you were rather than getting out on Interstate 95? I think that would be interesting to hear that side of it. Yeah, blame under, the victim. Under, understood, understood. Uh, yeah, no, no, blame, blame, blame the victim for being on the roads in the first place. He starts by saying, we didn't know how bad the storm was going to be, but then it got really bad. But then he blames people for being out in the road in a storm that he says he didn't know how bad it was going to be. What a hack. Honestly, what a hack. That guy's a, he's one of the worst. Of course, this is Mr. We'll keep him comfortable, you know, after they're born. Remember that whole thing? Ralph Nothram, Mr. Governor Shoe Polish Face. Good riddance to him. All right, so what else can we talk about that's not January 6th? Let's see. How about this? CDC clarifies COVID-19 isolation guidelines, but does not add testing requirements. They won't require a negative COVID-19 test to leave isolation. Okay? There you go. That's great. But they're getting criticized now. So now what they've decided to do is they've decided to add guidance on testing, telling people that you can take a test if you want to, take a rapid test toward the end of their five-day isolation period. This is now because they put the quarantine period down to five days instead of 10 days, and they get all this outrage from people who say follow the science. You notice that? CDC lowered the quarantine period from 10 days to five days, and there was all this outrage from the left. All this outrage on the left, and the question that I have is why? If it's the science, you always say, follow the CDC, follow the science, follow the guidance. What are you mad at them for? Hmm? What are you mad at them for? Fauci uh, and the FDA are not happy because they want people to be, they want people to be away forever. You know what I mean? Like, like they never want people to leave the house. That's the truth. They want people to be stuck inside forever and ever and ever. They don't want you ever coming out. But the CDC changed the guidelines. They said, you only have to do it five days. They said, well, don't you need a test? And they said, no, you don't need a test. And now they're saying, but you can get a test if you want to. Although now they're saying, maybe you shouldn't take one of those at-home tests because it may not pick up Omicron. But now you can't get another kind of test. Good luck getting getting a test at Walgreens or Rite Aid or any other place like that. Good luck with that. Because, you know, everywhere people go right now, they're finding out that it's very difficult to do. So that's where things stand with that. Oh boy, I'll tell you the the um the, the COVID stuff makes me laugh. It really does. Everywhere we turn, everywhere we look right now, we are seeing more and more people who are turning back against the teachers unions and saying enough is enough. Enough is enough with your nonsense. That's a good thing that people are doing that. But unfortunately, we're also seeing a lot of people right now who are t- who are realizing that the teachers unions have a lot of control over things, and we don't know if Biden's going to ever say anything. We have no idea. Jen Snarks was asked about that today. directly involved at a certain point. How many days do you have to go by before he jumps in? Well, we have. We are in regular touch with uh, teachers, uh, school administrators, labor leaders across the country uh, nearly every single day, including in Chicago, and uh, that, that will continue. And we will continue to make the case for schools to be open. Yeah, but that's not answering the question. Uh, by the way, King Philip the Unaccountable in New Jersey has declared a state of emergency with up to six inches of snow in the forecast. Do we really need a state of emergency for six inches of snow? Is that really necessary? No, but this guy loves to grandstand. They do. They love to grandstand. They really do. Uh, <laughs> man, a state of emergency. The Postal Service now is um, fighting the president on the vaccine mandate. A lot of the postal workers don't want to be vaccinated. They are now saying that a lot of mail is going to be impacted um, because of the vaccine mandate. Jen Psaki, Jen Snarks now suggesting Biden will still enforce the vaccine mandate. 
The Postal Service has asked OSHA for a temporary waiver um, on their vaccine mandate. I'm wondering what the response from the White House is. They've said that if they don't get the waiver, it, it could impact mail service. Well, uh, I would say, just to remind everybody, two months ago, more than two months ago, um, OSHA issued an emergency temporary standard to protect work- workers from the spread of coronavirus on the job, everywhere, uh, at companies, including the Postal Service. And the agency found that compliance with the rule was feasible for all employers, including the Postal Service. That was two months ago. OSHA provided several compliance resources to help employers develop vaccine or testing requirement programs and understand the responsibilities under the emergency temporary standard, including fact sheets, template plans for employers, other online resources, a webinar that walks through the obligations, employers and information to help them come into compliance. Uh, We know OSHA's mission is to ensure every working person in the country has safe and healthy working environments, including the Postal Service. So we will let OSHA speak to any response to the letter, but again, I just wanted to remind people that when it was issued, it was made clear that uh, the Postal Service could be compliant and had the ability to do that and still conduct their job. Um, okay, so what if my mail's late, though? That's the question. Why don't you listen to all these various agencies who say that this is only going to make things worse, whether it's the airline industry, the Postal Service, hospitals, law enforcement? Why does this administration not listen to anybody who turns around and says, you're making things worse? Why are you doing this? And I don't know if my mailman's vaccinated or not. I don't really care if he's vaccinated or not. I used to think early on, remember the early days of the pandemic that... Um, <laughs> I don't know about you, but it was it was March of 2020. So Bridget was pregnant with Reagan. And Reagan's due date was around the you know early part of April. And this pandemic was now, they're telling us about the pandemic. I was out to dinner with a bunch of friends in March 6th, March, that area, that time. I didn't know how bad it was going to be, but I went to see my GI doctor. My, my GI doctor is from China. And Dr. Wang, good man, Dr. Wang. And he came in, I went into my appointment. You know, the nurse is normal, no masks yet or anything. But he was wearing a face shield. And he was telling me how bad it's going to be. And I was like, all right, doc, are you nuts? What's going on? But then when they when they started to say COVID was bad, I thought, all right, well, I got to protect my pregnant wife. We don't know. I certainly at, didn't know anything at the time. So we would spray down everything. I mean, everything got Lysol back then. Letters, packages. Did you do this too? I'd leave the package out on the, on the, on the stoop for a couple days. Then I would throw bleach on it. Then it would Lysol. Then I would just set it on fire and just throw it out. That was just easier than risking bringing COVID inside the house. Same thing with food. I'd order food. I'd leave it out there. I'd douse it with bleach and Lysol. Realize now I can't eat it. And it would just sit out there for days until wild animals would come and get it. No, but we did. We, we, we cleaned everything. We wiped down every package, every piece of mail, everything. When, when Reagan was born, it was April 16th. She was born at Cooper Hospital in Camden. And when I left the hospital the next day on the 17th, I came home, I took all my clothes off in the garage, sprayed them all down, ran upstairs, took a shower, because we just didn't know back then. But nowadays we know that COVID is not spread via pieces of things that you touch, like letters. So I don't really care if my mailman is vaccinated or not. It doesn't, there's no effect on me. No effect on me whatsoever. Has the president been advised on whether it's likely that we will have to live with COVID forever and ever and ever? Jen Psaki was asked today, well, you know the answer to that. They'll never let it go. They'll never, ever let COVID go. Has the president been advised on whether it's likely that we will have to live with COVID in some form or another forever by his current team? 
Uh, I have not had the opportunity. It's obviously been a busy day to read these articles. I'm happy to do that, and I don't believe the president has. Um, I think I answered the question a little bit earlier. In terms of advice given by his health and medical experts, I'd really point you to them to ask them that question. Yeah, because, you know, the president's busy just dividing the nation and stabbing a knife into whatever national unity we had left today. So uh, there you go. How about... um, what it was like for gas prices a year ago. What about that? How were gas prices a year ago? Since we're reflecting on what the last year has been like, how, how was that? Roller coaster ride for prices at the pump. Triple A reporting the highest annual gas price increase North Carolina has seen in seven years. According to AAA, in 2021, gas prices started at a low of $2.10. By October, prices climbed to $3.25. AAA says demand came roaring back following that vaccination rollout and they predict higher gas prices to hang around well into this new year so how much are you paying for a gallon of gas on january 6 2021 out of curiosity that's what i'm wondering people are running from liberal states you know that's why like i want to go to florida if they announce schools are going remote i'd said this i'm down i'm out i'm out i'm gonna go down there and i will i will be on the first flight i possibly can i'll do the show from florida and the kids can homeschool in florida and we'll go in the pool every day i i i go down there and i come back and i go what am i doing in the northeast and then all these taxes and everything else well guess what they did a little uh show on cnbc about this and how americans are moving out and they're getting out of blue states they can't run fast enough Here are the top five outbound states. The states with the highest percentage of people moving out versus moving in. See if you can spot a trend. Ready? Here we go. The top outbound states for 2021, New Jersey, 71% of its moves were out. Fourth year in a row, New Jersey's held that, quote, title. Up next, Illinois, then New Jersey's neighbor to the north, New York, then New York's neighbor to the northeast, Connecticut, and rounding out the top five. California, which people apparently can't flee fast enough. Notice any trends there? Hmm. Expensive, high taxes, etc. All right. So where are people going? Wait, wait, wait. What else? What else? Expensive, high taxes. What else? What else? You left something out. Come on. Come on. Yes. Republican. Right. Right. Okay, let's continue. It's actually a little surprising. According to United Van Lines, the top inbound state was Vermont. 74% of moves inbound. Probably people, to be fair, leaving Boston and other crowded areas. Number two, South Dakota. You want isolation? You got it. South Carolina, West Virginia, and of course, Florida, rounding out the top five. Study does say what's probably obvious, less densely crowded areas saw more people coming in, of course, escaping crowds and people, or maybe folks are just looking for a better or different or less hectic lifestyle. Or maybe states all run by Republicans. All five of those states run by Republicans. So let's remember something. The the states that everybody's fleeing, top five, all run by Democrats. The states where people are all going, Republican states. Exactly right. Or maybe I have that backwards. Who knows? It's hard to say. Interesting, though, isn't that? And I, since New Jersey's number one, you understand my frustration. You understand my frustration with that and why I'm still here and why I'm still frustrating. And why I continue to get frustrated. This is um, White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain back in April of 2020. Since, again, we're taking a walk down memory lane here today. uh, Blaming Trump 
for the horrible testing situation that we have right now, as you may be in a situation where you're trying to get a test and you can't get one. The president needs to take leadership in a way that he's been unwilling to do so. He stood up last week and said that testing was a state problem. Each state needed to solve it for itself. And that's not going to get it done. We need a national approach. We need to be able to uh, use the president's authorities under the Defense Production Act to accelerate the production of testing kits to make sure they're distributed around the country. So we not only can do what you talked about a minute ago, test anyone who wants it, but actually go out and serve, do conduct surveillance, go into nursing homes, see where the disease is, go into sure. senior centers, see where the disease is, find the disease before it kills people. That's the kind of testing we need to make America safe. We are nowhere near that. No, we are not. We are nowhere near that because of this crappy leadership of this administration. Nowhere near that at all. Nowhere near that at all. Joe Biden's America. But hey, make sure your postal worker is vaccinated because you don't want to get mail that has COVID on it. Just saying. How have those contracts for rapid tests been signed yet? First, I just wanted to check. I know you guys have said uh, towards the end of this week on uh, finalizing the contracts for the rapid test, yeah. if those have been signed yet. I expect we'll have more in the next 24 hours. Um, oh. And as soon as we do, and as soon as there are more details to report, we will let you all know. That's what we're working We'll let you know. Have a great day. Thanks for listening.